Hello, I'm Chris. And I'm Sean. And this is Monsters and Mythos, a podcast where we look at monsters and races from D&D and compare them to their real-life counterparts. Uh, this is our pilot episode. What better way to start than by looking at humans? Now, I don't know about you, but personally, I almost didn't want to do humans as a topic because who doesn't know how to play humans? It's literally just you. But thinking about it, realizing there's actually a lot of good creation stories that involve how humans came to be on the earth, it was, hey, what if in your own world you introduce humans? So a good way for world building. Or, hey, what if this was the belief of my people? And so as you create it, you have a little additional background story that's not just your generic. Uh, yeah, I mean, human beings, you know, is something uh, everyone can relate to on, on some level, you know, being human. Uh, uh, yet humans are often thought of as, as rather bland or vanilla as, as far as tabletop RPG character creation goes, you know, particularly in high fantasy settings like Dungeons and Dragons. And of course they are, because, you know, dozens upon dozens of fantasy races or species exist, you know, each with their own lore and history, pros and cons to playing. Uh, there, there is a lot to get excited about, uh, so much so that humans often get, you know, overlooked, easily seen as, as basic, you know. And on the other side of the same coin, uh, the choices being so wide and vast, uh, each with their own pros and cons, uh, the human is also seen as, you know, the safe choice for, for those that are maybe lacking the creativity or, or, or know-how to, to play something, you know, more diverse. And I think all that is some, you know, kind of stereotypical bullshit. So uh, we're, we're going to have to talk it out. <laughs> Sounds good. Um, so as our format starts, uh, how about we start with the D&D &D side and how Gary Gygax saw humans being played as well as through the iterations. And then we'll take a look at some of the uh, real world mythos about how we came to be, as well as, of course, the scientific explanation. Okay, yeah, sounds good. So let me uh, crack my knuckles here. So, uh, you know, I know there are a buttload of fantasy races or, or different species out there to play, but uh, humans being marked as bland or vanilla is just kind of flat crazy to me, because particu particularly when it comes to, to RP. Uh, I feel like every other choice out there kind of puts puts the player in a box sometimes, you know, like uh, the pompous elf, the sneaky halfling, the grizzled dwarf, the, you know, it's a common find amongst characters, you know, because their statistics and their features and abilities are so like locked in that they, uh, they often generate characters like this, you know, like uh, of the same likeness. 
the human, unlike the other races, uh, has a much more loose and, dis and in descriptive rules. You know, they may be young, tall, and handsome, maybe older, graying, and, and walking with a limp or a cane, uh, you know, lean and muscly, chubby and out of shape, you know, uh, uh, gruff, maybe polite, maybe dressed, dressed like a gentleman, maybe dressed like a bum or a, pauper, a pauper, you know, a, a, a bushy beard, clean shaven, you know, if anything, the human has the widest array of possibilities for for like descriptors you know uh for rp anyway uh, you know the widest array available i mean literally think of of any kick-ass action star in your favorite action flick probably a human you know mimicry is the highest form of flattery so uh there is no reason you can't model a pc around somebody badass like John Wick, or, or maybe Chris Hemsworth in Thor, you know, Doc Holliday in Tombstone, Tom Cruise in, like, fucking anything, I guess, you know, uh, Henry Cavill, Hugh Jackman, John Jepp, etc., you know, my, my point is uh, that there are a lot of endless pools of media out there that contain a multitude of badass characters uh, uh, that it would all be all too easy to assimilate into a playable character, um, yeah, and the only thing they all share in common is that they are human. So the stereotype for human characters being basic, bland, or vanilla is one that I really don't get. Because at least RP-wise, upon character creation, you, you, know, you arguably have ten times the descriptive options uh, than the other choices. So, uh, what, you, you follow me? You picking up what I'm putting down? I'm with you. Um, so, uh, coming coming around the corner here, uh, how are humans statted out in, in D and D? It is it like a mechanical different game wise? You know, I guess I guess this kind of depends on on what tabletop RPG you're playing. But as for D and D's sake, the the it, this kind of varies between editions. Uh, so going back to like three E. Uh, upon creating a human, uh, you got no racial ability score adjustments. You know, while while most other characters incurred both a positive and a negative ability score adjustment, like per their race, the, the humans didn't get anything. Um, so that was kind of different. You know, you didn't get any negatives, or you didn't get any bonuses. But uh, they would also get like a bonus feat at first level due to them being quick to master specialized tasks and being varied in their talents. Uh, uh, so that almost made up for it, but where the human really got the bang for their buck back then was skill points. Getting a few bonus points at level one and every level thereafter was a huge fucking deal to the, to the massive skill checklist back then. There were 45 separate skill checks for the basic character. Okay, so skill checks that could potentially save or destroy characters. Be petty or funny or mundane as well, but, you know, the extra points when allocated properly made higher level human characters exceptionally good adventurers. Uh, you know, so this addition also uh, made it pretty easy for humans to learn uh, other languages, citing that humans often mingle with all kinds of other folk and uh, could easily pick up the language of any homeland, uh, you know, so that was kind of cool. Uh, one of the things I like most about humans from this edition in particular is the way it describes them as ancestors of pioneers, conquerors, traders, travelers, refugees, and, and other people on the move. 
You know, so as a result, human lands are a mix of people, physically, culturally, religiously, politically, you know, hardy or fine, light skinned or dark, uh, primitive or uh, civilized, devout or impi impious, impious, however you say that, <laughs> you know, uh, humans kind of run the gamut uh, uh, from, you know, such a broad spectrum. Uh, so taking taking that info and, and moving ahead towards the more modern times fast forward 20 something years to the to the 5e rules we play with in our, our one shots in our campaign today a lot of the mechanics and rules have changed regarding gameplay and the human in D&D has been given its its fair shake along with a dash of hope amongst the other races uh, um, first of all to quote my 5e PHB page 31 uh, ability score increase your ability score uh, your ability scores each increase by one uh, you know so vast is the human potential to be uh, absolutely anything we set our mind to be that every single ability score gets a plus one uh, I mean it kind of makes you flattered to be a human doesn't it yeah uh, I mean I assume it's probably like a, a point by build at this point you know uh, uh, but Anyway, it was just kind of a, an interesting little tidbit I, I found in the PHB. Alongside that, if you choose to be like a variant human, you could potentially increase two or more uh, uh, other ability scores and, and take a choice on a skill proficiency as well as a feat. So it's a bit a different build than most races, but uh, it's far from basic or vanilla. Humans are actually the most likely to have a well-rounded set of ability scores due to their natural, you know, adaptability so uh you got any two cents on uh you follow me so far you got any two cents you want to add oh no i'm right there with you it's not so much that people are basic it's that people play them basic because they just don't have the imagination to really branch out i mean when you get into the folklore and stuff humans are at the center of pretty much everything that happens. Uh, I would say the reason you don't see some of the same stats is because, well, some people are like the mountain from Game of Thrones. They're big and huge, and others are so small and wiry, they can literally hide in a trunk. And so, since people aren't... Uh, uniformly built it gives you that option of how do you want to create your character whereas with some of the other playable races you know the orcs are always big and strong you, do, you don't really get into a lot of stories in the fantasy realm of small orcs well put well put that's true very true um so I mean, so aside from some of the great options for, for RP and, and the sweet game mechanics of humans, let's talk about that, that adaptability I mentioned for a bit. Uh, how adaptable exactly? <laughs> well, well, let's talk about the, the apparent uh, sexual deviancy within the fantasy realms perpetuated by our people. <laughs> uh, far too adaptable, if you, if you ask me. Okay, so... Humans, uh, also known as slut folk, are, are breeding with fantasy citizens and creatures at an alarming rate. <laughs> uh, what the fuck is going on here, fellas? Like, I, I, I get the love. I get that love has no boundaries. But 
there's a lot of baby making going on in the background here. Like, uh, with, with the broadening of, of playable races and species as the game kind of progresses and becomes more inclusive, uh, there seem to be a rising number of, you know, half species. Half elves, half orcs, half ogres, half giants, half dragons, and so on and so forth. Is there anything humans won't fuck? I mean, I mean, God, man. <laughs> you know, uh, I absolutely could see dudes like trying to bang their way across like the realms or or, or chicks that maybe want to take down a personal quest that involves checking out and maybe uh, testing out a few different sizes, uh, shapes, and, and textures along their travels. But, uh, you know, these, these sexual antics, mind you, are, are unique to humans. Uh, having a human half seems to be crucial in almost all half species. Uh, this is not... Like a fruit for sure documented anywhere, but uh, you know, uh, one of the secret human abilities may or may not be uh, interspecies breeding. So <laughs> these uh, these half species are usually benefiting in multiple ways when a human breeds with you know, say like an elf. You get the half elf. It retains a lot of the elven features, but is capable of growing facial hair. To be typically a little bit stockier than the slender elves. When when a human breeds with an ogre. The, the half-ogre is still obnoxiously strong by humanoid standards, yet doesn't necessarily have to be crippled by low intelligence or charisma scores. So, you know, and when a human breeds with a dwarf, well, they just get mad usually, but, you know, <laughs> anyway, anyway. <laughs> my, my next point about, about the slut folk is it has to be a unique ability to humans, uh, interspecies breeding, I mean, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, because if it's not... Then it is the only t uh, the, then it is the only tolerated form of this perversion of nature across most of the realms, and rightly so. Hear me out. Stay with me on this. Half ogres tolerated. Half dragons tolerated. If an ogre and a dragon manage to have like an interspecies love child, that thing is a fucking hybrid monstrosity nightmare. People call that an ah as they flee in fucking terror to find warriors brave enough to kill it. Kill the thing, you know? They don't want to trade with it. You know what I mean? They're not interested in giving it side quests or asking it about its background, you know? Fucking murder bounty and quick. Yeah, you know? Just a little tidbit that I feel like needed pointed out. Well, it might require a bit more research, uh, but yeah, it, humans and interspecies fantasy breeding. Uh, you, you got any thoughts on this uh, sensitive subject, considering you know, uh, our people are being uh, either greatly uh, uh, misrepresented or, or uh, maybe put on blast for their devious ways? I don't know. Is this count as kink shaming if you're into you know fantasy races? I don't know. <laughs> Well, I would say the reason you saw a lot of human halves is because the people who created a lot of the stories knew at least a little bit of human physiology. How would a human react with when pregnant? Easy. Go ask a female who's been pregnant. You know, what did you experience? And then you can make little tweaks here and there based upon... Uh, the other half, whereas try and find an ogre. 
hey, how did you experience this? So then you're, I mean, you could do it, but you're creating a whole nother layer to your world that you don't necessarily need. Uh, I would say that a lot of the human having, you know, uh, other species creatures uh, children with, especially with gods and bulls, horses, a lot of that ended about the time of uh, Darwin's uh, origin of species when it came, hey, humans can really only have babies with other humans, you know. When we realized we were the descent, uh, we were descended from great apes. It became a lot more. Oh well, okay. So I guess werewolves and centaurs wouldn't really be possible that way. But hey, Bigfoot, that came about. <laughs> so now it's all monkeys that humans can have relations with and start producing offspring of. But I, I, I think the other part is with that uh, adaptability of humans, you know, they're not straight to strength. It's not to constitution. It's not to charisma. So whenever you throw in another species, oh, well, of course we're adaptable with them. We're adaptable with it for everything. That's why we live full time on six of the seven continents. We live in hot deserts and frozen tundras. True, true. <laughs> well said. Uh, well, um, that's uh, kind of uh, basically uh, my take on the human. You know, as as far as humans are played uh, uh, via D and D, the net is cast far and wide for me. You know, uh, too too far and wide. To pinpoint it any uh, one way, I feel like playing human characters, uh, from a DM standpoint at least, is a good way to play someone who is relatable. You know, as we all are pres presumably <laughs> also humans. Uh, so, like relaying information can also come along with you know conveying a particular mood or or emotion or or helping to kind of immerse the players uh, further into the settings and and you know encourage RP. Uh, uh, you know, that being said, I think like the love hate scale for for humans, uh, for human NPCs, you know, is easily manipulatable. Uh, it, it's too easy to make a kick-ass ally or like a devious nemesis uh, using uh, all too real, you know, human motivations and ambitions and reasoning, etc. So. Um, uh, that's about all I got on the uh, a fantasy realm aspect of of humanity uh you got some some good uh lore for us as well then i do but i just had a thought i think the main reason people look at humans in a game like DD and think basic is because you have a chance to play something you literally cannot be you cannot be an elf you can't be a dwarf, you can't be an orc, you can't be dragonborn, but you can sure as hell be a human. 
So why would you go into your fantasy game just to play what you could play walking outside? And that's kind of like what I touched on in the beginning. You know, it's like it's a combination of like, uh, uh, you know, everybody thinks humans are bland. And of course they do, because there's dozens of other races that are not human. You know, you get you know, fairies and elves and dwarves and whatever else, you know. Humans are bland because there's 8 billion of them out there. Meanwhile. Exactly. (laughs) As I said in the beginning, uh, you know, you could spend, and literally people have and do, years of pointing out just stories that involve humans because we are everywhere. We're involved in everything. It's the easiest thing to use. We're the good guys, we're the bad guys, we're the tricked, we're the trickers. So I wanted to narrow it down to a couple stories as to how humans began to inhabit planet Earth. And the main focus on that is, you know, I've thought about if I were creating a D&D world, you know, you could actually create one where there's no humans and the whole overreaching arch is they're creating them. So you take a little bit of the half-elf, get rid of the elven half. Take a little bit of a half-orc, get rid of the orcish half. And when you put them together, what are you producing? So you get a little bit from all these other uh, races to create a human. Or, you know, I'm playing a character I want to create his own mythology because he's a cleric for this god. What would their beliefs be? And even if you don't use it in game, it gives you a wider expanse as to how you could play your character. And there's actually some very interesting stories out there. Uh, I mean, most people who you would talk to already know the the Judeo-Christian-Islamic version, which is... After five days, on the sixth day, God created man and woman, named them Adam and Eve. Uh, Adam created from the clay of the earth, and Eve taken from his rib and created slightly after. And I, I remember I was watching a show once, and they said, you know, if you take it from a An analogy standpoint, you know, it's a great way to look at life. You're born into essentially paradise. You're hungry, somebody feeds you. You crap your pants, somebody changes you. And then you hit puberty or take a bite of the apple. And now all of a sudden women are getting periods uh, and able to produce children. Men get the Adam's apple. And now you enter the real world where you have to work and you can never go back to where you were of that innocence of childhood. But the main thing I wanted to take from that is with that one, as well as with Greek mythology, uh, when humans were first created, Prometheus, the Titan, created man out of clay. And so you see a similarity there. And that clay was foundational. I mean, if you built a statue, if you created pottery, 
it was out of clay. You could mold it. You could figure it. People created houses and abodes from clay. So you can see the malleable form and why it would be a very easy material for somebody to say, hey, of course, that's what we were made out of. Look, I made this little statuette the same way. I just don't have the power to breathe life into it, whereas a god or a deity of some sort would. However, that's not the only way men have been said to be created. One of them is uh, Norse mythology, which would include uh, the Nordic countries as well as Germany, where a lot of the Nordic uh, religion started. We all know of Odin. However, many don't know of Vodin, which is the Germanic version of it uh, that carried over the Baltic Strait. But after Odin had and his brothers had slayed the giant Ymir, which is how the world itself got created was from his body parts. Him and two of his brothers were walking along a coast and they found two tree trunks, driftwood, lying on the beach or even still planted. But they saw them and out of that wood, they created a man and a woman, just their silhouettes, their bodies. And then they put life into them, made them alive, made them people. And from there, the human race was born. From the, these two, the man was named Ask and the woman Embla. Well, again, when you focus upon, especially northern Germany and a lot of the Nordic region, woods, trees, forests was huge in abundance. And the houses weren't made out of clay. It was made out of wood. The ships they used for sailing and pillaging and everything else of their livelihoods was wood. It was a central component. And since it was so important to their livelihoods, of course man would be made out of wood. We're central to the importance of the world. Going over to ancient Mayan tradition, uh, Man, as it exists today, is actually the third or fourth attempt. The first time the gods tried, they made them out of mud. And they sucked. Faces were lopsided. They couldn't move real well. And when it rained, they melted away. So, okay, that was a failure. What next? I know we'll try wood. I mean, you can already see they're using some of the same stories that other cultures used. The wood didn't work. They were too stiff. They were dry. They uh, were brittle. And so they sent monsters to kill the wooden people. They sent a flood to drown them. And from uh, the ones that survived, actually they said became the monkeys. So according to Mayan mythology, Monkeys were the second attempt at humans. And then after that, they had two twins who played a ball game against the Death Lords of the Underworld. And since that's not the purpose of this tale, we're not going to get into it. But the twins won. And then after winning, they rose into the heavens and became the sun and the moon, 
And this allowed for corn to be grown. And the gods sent some animals to collect, you know, again, trying to find the perfect human to collect elements of the earth. And they found when they took the yellow corn and the white corn, ground them up and made a paste, they created human. So in Mayan tradition, humans came from yellow corn and white corn, which was a staple in Mayan life. It's how they survived. It's how they uh, grew and uh, rose to supremacy. So again, you, you can see they take what they see as their most vital aspect, in this case, maize or corn, and that's what humans are, because we are that important. Uh, Egyptian civilization has it to where the eye of Ra is out, and said they sent out a second eye. There was a battle to get it back. And once they succeeded, during the struggle, tears from the eye fell upon the earth, and from the tears... Men sprang up. Well, as I mean, you can already picture it Egypt being a vast desert wasteland, it's the Nile River and the oasis that sprout off of it. It's the only reason people were able to live there. So, water was the most important element. And so, people came from a water source. And so, as you follow through, you can see that. Man, from a mythological standpoint, because we're the ones telling the story, we are the most important. They use whatever was most important to their people to explain how man was crafted. It was never really accidental. It was always purposeful and with that special element. So, you know, as I was thinking about it, what if you created a human in your D&D game and he's from a coastal town? Say he's a cleric. Well, you can make his story be, yes, we worship the sea. And in fact, our people came from the rocks imbued with seaweed and then blessed by whichever god your character's playing. And that's how our people arose. That's why we're so great at the sea. I mean, you can make it naive and that story fake or make it true. And that's how that particular group came into existence and why they are great at being pirates and sea merchants and have a, or druids that are connected to the water or even uh, close to a water genasi. Uh, but I guess the last one I wanted to do was just the scientific of evolution that we share a common ancestor until about 10 or 12 million years ago, I believe it is, when great apes, which include gorillas, broke off. And then further down to about 5 million years, we broke away from chimpanzees. And then millions of years, uh, the Homo genus started. And from there, you got Homo erectus, Homo habilis. Homo neanderthalis, which became the Neanderthals or the European human, and then Homo sapiens, which was the African human. 
And then from there, we spread out into the vast lands up into Europe, over into Asia, eventually over the Bering Strait into the Americas. And it's that uh, mixing with Neanderthals that Homo sapiens and Europeans especially started to get their changes from that original African uh, model. And that's why Europeans ended up with blonde hair. It wasn't a Homo sapien trait. It was a Neanderthal trait that then got introduced into the Homo sapien genetics. That's why when you see red hair, it's not common over in Asia proper with like China, Japan, Korea, India. It's popular in Ireland and Scotland and even northern parts of France. The blonde hair is Scandinavian and Germanic. And that is because of that intermingling or the slut folking, as she so eloquently put earlier, in real time. <laughs> Yeah, that's uh, yeah, that's pretty interesting. I I, uh, I didn't actually consider like uh, uh, you know so many uh, uh, creation like origin stories of man that are out there that uh, you know would tech, you know, you could totally apply that to uh, you know aspects of tabletop RPGs, particularly Dungeons and Dragons. You know, you could it's totally reasonable to have you know like say uh, a, a civilized city of of you know uh, of culture you know like say like uh ancient rome but then you know just a, a few marshes over you could also equally have you know uh, our barbarian tribe of humans that you know they share the same or similar dna but you know completely different upbringing and outlooks on life like uh that's that's pretty interesting i i uh, uh a few of those i had kind of briefly touched on you know just in school and stuff but the uh, the mayan stuff was yeah i never heard any of that that was that was fairly interesting I, I, you taught me something today <laughs> and that's always the goal but you know as you were saying let's say you create a continent over here on the east side they are the water people they believe they came from seaweed over on the other coast, they believe that they're crafted from rocks. And as they meet, well, you can have a conflict there because you get that battle of ideas. Well, no, mine is right. Mine is right. And you can have a little war based upon a theology, which happens all the time, especially back in those days. I mean, the number of religions that got uh, removed or integrated due to eventually these people coming into contact so you could create an entire realm uh just based and, and you can even extrapolate that too like the half works you know half works came into existence because this god took and made an orcish man for the strength and a human woman for the beauty and they made it now that's where half orcs come from. So it is, you don't even have to keep it to just human. You can branch it out into pretty much any character you create. It's just whatever you want to allow your imagination to do. Right, and that is kind of uh, uh, the, one of the the key factors in yeah you know, 
tabletop RPGs or Dungeons and Dragons is that you know your your imagination. You know, I feel like the imagination is kind of like a muscle. You know, if you if you never use it, then it's weak. You know, but uh, you know, constant you know some critical thinking you know uh, and whatnot uh, uh, makes the imagination muscle all that much stronger. You know, the the theater of the mind is uh, uh, can be a, a wonderful place if you let it. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh, of course. And you know, I I did mention four, but pretty much you name anything, they have a different story. You can look up ancient Japanese and their origin stories. You can look at ancient uh, Russians and their origin stories, the Slavics. You can look at American indigenous peoples and their stories, the Inuits and their stories. And I mean, like I said, you could honestly make multi-hour, multi-episodes on just one topic like this alone. But feel free, I, and I actually encourage people to look up the various creation myths that are out there and pull a little something. Pull something from three different ones for your background, especially if you're playing like a paladin or a cleric, where the religion has an impact on your character's being. You know, a barbarian might not care because people play them strong but stupid. The bard, hell, a bard can know so he could tell his stories as he goes town to town. Your uh, ranger, again, might not care. Your warlock is probably just look, trying to figure out which one he can make a deal with. But as you're creating a background for your cleric, okay, what is his religion? What does it look like? How is it going to be portrayed? How can I play it so that, and, and it definitely helps bigger with uh, larger campaigns. I mean, if you're doing a one-shot, you might not put that much effort into it, just enough to determine how your character might react to a situation that arises. But with a campaign, I mean, you're going to give your DM a lot to work with, as well as from a DM perspective, you can take one of these nuggets and just really expand on it to create a story that your player doesn't even see coming. Yeah, very true, very true. Uh, I, I like the, you know, and then the way kind of like how I had said earlier is like the the uh, human lands tend to be a mix of, you know, cultures and political views and religions, you know, it would, uh, it, it kind of definitely just being a human in general and coming from a, a nation of humans, it just kind of opens up a lot of, you know, different routes, different, you know, uh, uh, skill trees or, or, you know, maybe uh, options, you know, that, you know, might not necessarily be available to the uh, uh, non-human uh, characters. A lot more diversity in their uh, background and their homelands and things does kind of matter. And uh, yeah, it's definitely a, a thought fodder. You know, you could take it in so many different directions. Yeah. Uh, um, and I, I mean, I we did a, a small story arc with a, a separate DM, and I created a human uh, cleric. Uh, went with Kalishdar, sub-variant, but, you know, human nonetheless. And when I created him, I made the mistake of not giving him a real detailed backstory. I figured it's a short story, 
couple episodes, it doesn't matter. And to be perfectly honest, I had no feel for this guy. I could not figure out really his motives, what he would do. And so it floundered. And, and that's why I recommend to anybody, if you're even if you're playing a one-shot, I mean, you don't have to type up a four-page story to deliver, but in your own head, at least, think of a four-page story. So that when anything happens, you know exactly how you want your guy to react to it. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely could help with the with the uh, RP. You know, if somebody's struggling there, that's uh, that's a good uh, idea. Is to kind of uh, you won't like you said you don't necessarily have to write a whole book about your character's background, but maybe think you know, ah, well, I probably came from this neck of the woods, and I was probably doing this and that and the other thing too. You know, just just to have it fresh in your mind kind of helps with RP and and you know the kind of uh, uh, improv aspect that. Dungeons and Dragons and, and most tabletop RPGs kind of uh, uh, provide, you know, for, for their gamers. All right. Well, is there anything else you wanted to discuss on our pilot episode? Um, nope. I'm going to say this is probably good. Uh, pretty good first pilot episode. We covered a lot. I even learned something today. Wild. <laughs> uh, you got any uh, closing comments or anything? Yeah, uh, you know, this is sort of what we're looking at. Uh, we definitely welcome any and all feedback as we want to make this entertaining to listen to, enjoyable for us to do, and hopefully everybody who listens walks away at least with a little nugget, either on the D&D side or the um, Mythos side. Or, or an idea at, to create their own character or create their own story. Uh, we have our email address, which is monstersandmythos at gmail.com. Feel free to message us, and we will try and answer back. It's going to be a lot easier in the beginning. Hopefully it gets more difficult because we get a lot more listeners. But um, as always, thank you for listening. Be sure to rate and review wherever you hear so that we can try and spread to more ears and more minds.